The game is the game. Join me, your host, Mashal St. Patrick Hewitt, as I travel on the journey to meet people from a variety of professions to find out what made them excel in their field. Walk with me. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Game is the Game. I'm your host, Mashal St. Patrick Hewitt, and thank you once again for joining me to look into another, another journey, another career, another, another story arc that drops gems upon gems. We've had the one with the footballer, we've had the one with the musician, we've had the one with the pastor, the one with the social worker, the one with the head teacher, the one with the author. This one is called The One with the Former Drug Addict MC. And you know what, people? <laughs> when when, when I called it this one, I ummed and ahed about whether this should be done. And I said to my guest, are you sure we can call it this? And he said, Mash, go ahead. It's fine. Ladies and gents, I'm honoured, to be honest, because um, the, the individual I've got on today is Jimmy Davis, or I should say the artist known as Tapes. I'm going to see what he says when I ask him to, 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 to intro himself. But um, Jimmy... <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy may well, well may well blush when I when I say this, as obviously I can see him as I'm recording this. But um, Jimmy was an inspiration to me um, as a as an as an artist, as a as an MC, as a as a rapper. Um, in my formative years, much younger years, um, there's nothing better. If you're a massive music fan, and everybody says they're a music fan, but there's nothing better than happening upon an artist, upon a musician who you didn't know about, no one had told you about them, and you just go to a gig and you see them. I've always said that's the best way to to, to find a a new artist within your kind of musical library. And um, that's how I came across Jimmy Davis. And um, I always, anybody who knows me from, from whichever stage of my life, I've always kind of said to people, you need to know this guy. His music's seriously, seriously, seriously good. And um, his music's so good and so meaningful to me that about five, six years ago, I used one of his releases in an assembly. <laughs> now, for those of you who know, I am obviously um, a school teacher as well. And uh, when, I was, uh, when I was last ahead of year, uh, I used one of Jimmy's uh, singles for an assembly to kind of do a really emotive, powerful assembly to that year group. And I've never seen a, a year group in my whole teaching career ever be so transfixed on a music video that isn't from an artist that they already know and, and, and so on and so forth. So that's enough of an intro. Um, I hope I made Jimmy blush in doing that <laughs> in doing that intro. But um, uh, as I said, I'm delighted to have Jimmy on. Jimmy, how you doing? Blush is an understatement, man. I'm like a, a shade of scarlet over here, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Mash. Yeah, it's really good to be here. Uh, it's a privilege and an honour. And yeah, thank you for inviting me on. You know what, Jimmy? Let, let, let's start with with that title. But I don't want you to kind of delve into the story. We can get to that. But when I said to you, Jimmy, what should we call this one? Because I was mindful because... I've already done an episode, which is the one with the musician, with another good friend of mine, um, 
Ed, uh, Ed Ryman, who records under the name Helang Child. And um, I was like, can I do another music one or not? But then obviously I knew like parts of your backstory. So I didn't know what to call it. And then you said, Mash, call it the one with the former drug addict MC. As best as you can, Jimmy, why that title? I thought it was quite evocative. I thought it would uh, it would definitely jump out at people. Um, and I think it's it's a really important element of my journey and story and life so far. Um, and it's something that I'm not scared or afraid of to share with people, you know. And, um, yeah, it's a part of me and it's, it's like formed a part of my character. So, I mean, I went over a few in my head, man, like the one with the rapper. I just hate the word rapper. I just can't mm. stand it, man. And, um, you know, the one with the poet, the one, this, that, and the other. And it was just like, nah, man, let's be real about this. Let's be raw. Let's be honest. Let's be upfront. Let's get it out there from the outset. So, you know, no airs and graces. And yeah, man, that, that one just landed with me. Well, I'm sure those who are listening are like, what's this? What, what, what is this drug addict part? That's going to be the part which people are going <laughs> to, if they don't know you already or don't know your music already, that's the, that's the one that's certainly going to kind of, in itself is going to speak to people and they'll want to know more, but we will get to that in time. Um, I'm just going to tell you a quick story though, Jimmy, and for, for those listening, I was racking my brain going, but where, how, what gig was it? Where did I first come across you? Now, even before the gig, I was then trying to remember where was the, what was the first song I heard <laughs> me come across you? And I don't know if this is right. And you may not, I'm about to say you may not even remember recording the song. Of course you will. But I, I was looking today and I found it. I reckon the reason I came across your music was because at the time I would have been listening to Nisloppy. So Luke Honkanen, et cetera, uh, for Lots of people listening to this will know this Loppy, JCB song, etc. I always think that really denigrates how good Niz Loppy were. Whenever people say, oh, the JCB song, their music was so much better than that one particular song. Mm. Would have seen this Loppy live several times. And there was a gig where I think I saw Luke as a solo artist and you would have been supporting him. That's what I reckon. And I think it was, I can't remember the name of the venue. It's, it's, oh, it's that little venue on the way to like London Zoo can't remember the name of the venue green yeah. something green yeah. man maybe green, green no right yes that's it yes i think it may have been there it may have been earlier i don't know but the song was a song called city do you remember that song jimmy yes or no <laughs> or city whether you called it city or not i don't know but city do you remember recording that song of course man of course bro <laughs> absolute classic <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's a classic of its genre and um there were several kind of uh artists who i'd never seen i think or heard of before and i don't know it might have been a youtube algorithm which made me come across that particular song and that was the one where i thought hold on who is this guy who is this guy he's got a unique style that i've not heard before i've got to delve into his back catalog and find out more more about him but I use that song to start here. Your career obviously predates that particular song. When you think back on your musical journey, and we're not going to use the word rapper anymore, but when you think back on your <laughs> musical journey as an MC, where does it actually start for you? Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm really sort of um, 
rustling through the archives there, man. Um, As an MC, the journey started. So I I wrote my first sort of lyrics when I was about, I was a bit of a latecomer, to be honest, sort of Mm. 21. I wrote my first ever sort of like bars, lyrics, piece of poetry, whatever you want to call it. Um, And it all started because, and this might lead us nicely into talking about the whole kind of addicted to drugs thing, but it all started mash off the back of that coming out the other side and Mm. having what I would would sort of refer to as an epiphany, really Mm. Um, a moment in my life, like a moment of clarity, um, a a moment of um, uh, yeah, like a, like a, a moment of like, I can't think of any way, other way to explain it other than complete clarity. Like I could, I knew exactly what I needed to do with the rest of my life at that moment in time. Um, and, you know, people describe it as a spiritual experience, don't they? An epiphany. I can't explain it, man. It was something along those lines and it was something or some unknown force saying to me, this is what you need to do. So I did it and um, I wrote this song and, uh, I was studying like, well, I not not much prior to that. I decided that I wanted to just explore music. Music was like a real big part of my life for years. Growing up, I was in bands. I, I played drums. I was lead singer in bands. I was a DJ. You know, I had all this stuff going on, but no real clear direction. Mm. Um, and I could never really stick it out, or you know, for whatever reason. So. I decided that I was going to explore music. That was part of the the kind of epiphany. But in terms of writing lyrics, it was like, that's what I was drawn to. Um, so, yeah, I created this kind of beat, like really shit beat. I'm sorry, I hope you don't mind. Like, nah, go for it, you're good. Colourful language, but really shocking beat. And um, I'd just written this, this yeah, the, these, these lyrics over it and took it into the college I was studying at. And um, played it to a couple of people, tutors and that. And it just so happened that this one guy that was at the college, really popular guy, like wicked MC. Uh, you know, he was there. He had an entourage. He had his, like, his, the best looking girl in the college was on his arm and all that kind of stuff. And there was little me sat at the back of the class with my headphones on, like no confidence, no personality, stripped of my character. Um, you know, had nothing to say to anybody really. And, and he got hold of this track and he just approached me and said, I want to work with you, man. I heard that what you did and it's just different and I just love it. And, I, and so we, we formed this, um, this partnership and we, we ended up bringing another guy on board and, it, and we called ourselves Force of Nature. Mm. And we wrote, we wrote this song as a threesome and then uh, as a trio. And then it just so happened that quite a famous artist was guest lecturing at the college at the time. His name was Pato Banton. Of course. Quite quite a big reggae artist, man, particularly then. You were talking like 20 years ago plus. Mm. And um, so he was, he had this project that he was putting together called Stop the Guns. And so we said to him, look, we've written this song, man. And uh, we want to pitch it to you for Stop the Guns. And he was like, yeah, right, cool. Do it now, right now. I want to hear it. I was like, what do you mean right now? Like, we ain't got the music or anything. I was like, I don't care. I want to hear it. So we did it there and then, like, a cappella versus chorus. And he was like, yeah, you got the gig, man. You're on the CD. 
go Golf away, record, record the track, send me the track, and then we'll talk about how we can kind of, you know, master it and get it mixed properly and everything. And so, yeah, that's where the journey started, man, really. It's in that trio as force of nature and, and, you know, sort of embarking on that journey of I'm going to write something myself and it just getting hurt by someone. I was going to save this question right near the end because I thought it would make sense more, but make sense um, from a, a better sense in terms of sequentially. But actually, I'm going to throw it in right now because I feel that it can come now. I've always wondered from like your if people haven't already worked it out, Jimmy's a brummy. Okay, uh, <laughs> although you may you may disagree, Jimmy, and say that you're actually from a certain part of the Midlands or a certain area within Brum. I'll let you just I'll let you tell me, but Jimmy's a brummy, and um, I've always thought that it's harder to make headway in this type of game with a regional accent. Mm. So when I first happened across you, I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, you stood out because here you were a Brummy rapper, rapper, MC, sorry. You were a Brummy MC. And there weren't many around. As far as I'm concerned, there weren't many around. When I say not many around, I mean many around that I could obviously say that person, that person, that person. So it stood out in that sense. But I do think or sense in music, and I'm not in the game. So correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I do sense there's a bit of snobbery mm. from I'm from in maybe a London centric aspect to it. Certainly, I've grown up most of my life in London to a to a regional accent that is on unapologetic in its in its presentation, <laughs> and that's why I focused on you being from Brum because you're you've you've never you've never watered it down. <laughs> I guess it's what I'm saying. And, um, I just wonder from a kind of MC's perspective, am I naive to think that might hold someone back? Do you think it plays a factor or not? Yeah, it certainly has done in the past for sure. And when I got into the game, it was it was a it was a big factor. Yeah, there's no getting away from it. There's no denying it. I mean, certain people bucked the trend and broke the mold. Mike Skinner being the obvious one, is mm. a brummy. But what I would say with him is that he sort of he molded and shaped it and tweaked it, and he you know it wasn't like full on peaky blinders brummy, was yeah, it? Yeah, with yeah, Mike yeah. Skinner, it was a little bit kind of you heard bits of it in there, but yeah, he sort of tailored it. Um, and there were there were like there were some big rappers from Birmingham, MSI and Asylum being um one of the, the standout ones. Black Twang is from Birmingham as well. But I didn't know yeah. that, you know. Yeah, <laughs> Black, Black Twang's a brummy, yeah, Tony. I had no idea. Okay. Yeah, he was born in Aston. Um, but again, you know, they managed to kind of like you know, they they tweak the twang, so to speak. So um, so yeah, for me, I, I did I did feel it held me back in some respects, but but in others, I also got, I gained the respect of artists within the industry for that exact reason that you've just touched on, that mm. it was unapologetic. It was me. It was authentic. It was raw. And, um, and yeah, it was sort of going against the grain in, in a way, because at that point it was very London-centric and um, MCs with a Cockney accent were just embraced, you know what I mean? And, um, and, and anyone else regionally just... Totally wasn't, yeah.
making his debut Look at the tenacity, no wonder he came through And they've given him the number 10 shirt Cause he seems to have everybody that watches the game glued To his antics, watch the fans fix their eyes on him transfixed Everyone in the stands gripped Replace the peer-to-peer with ear-to-ear Logging on and sharing in his musical bandwidth Someone even tried to keep him out the programme But the supporters for him handed out the pamphlets Explaining how he was handpicked and cause he was damn sick Their new way of describing him was rancid So they chanted his name and banded it around Till he felt like his wish had been granted And the seed that he planted back in the day Was now starting to blossom, how fantastic It's Jimmy Davis, Davis Jumping the scene, bring the changes, changes It's Jimmy Davis, Davis The latest addition upon your favourite playlist and as you say, and we, we should go there, you say your journey starts at like early 20s, so on and so forth. And we we, we should touch on, obviously, the, the, the drug addiction part, because it is what it is. It, you mm-hmm. aren't who you are now without being able to reflect on that. And um, to be honest, Jimmy, although I knew that was part of your story, I didn't really fully appreciate how much of your story it was until your last full or your first maybe full release with tapes. Um, mm. And on that on that album, you had a track called Flashback. I think it's Flashback. Is it Flashback? I think it is Flashback, where you tell the story. Or is it the day after? There's, all, there's always tomorrow, you're thinking of. There's always tomorrow. Sorry, it's the last one on the album. So I thought it was flashback. Right? It's always tomorrow, which is the last one on the album, right? And yeah. if anybody after this um, records, sorry, if anyone after listening to this episode is like, let me go listen to, to tapes. And by the way, that's tapes T-8-P-E-S, people. <laughs> <laughs> but um, if anyone like, at the end of this record is like, let me go listen to, to Jimmy's uh, stuff. Um, that song... When I listened to it, I was like, oh, oh, right. Okay. That that's how deep it went. (laughs) (laughs) So first, before we get into that the whole story around the drug addiction, what was it like to record elements of that album and know that you were gonna tell the story in its raw, unedited detail? Is there a is there any kind of sense of trepidation? Um, what? How did you approach that? Because there must have been a part of it which is like, okay, I'm, I'm putting this all out there. And if people didn't know this about me beforehand, they're certainly going to know it in, in this song now. Just talk me through that. Yeah, I guess there was a little bit of apprehension around it, you know, and, and I do remember being in that space when I was writing the song and being a bit fearful around it and it being it being a hard song to write, you know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, you're facing your demons, man. You know, that, that song doesn't just talk about drug addiction. It talks about the fact that fucking when I was in that period of my life um, abroad on a holiday in Tenerife, I fucking ran into a hotel and dragged, uh, like in the middle of the night, dragged like a charity box off the reception desk and ragged it off and ran down the street with it, smashed it and counted all the money and, you know, put it in my pocket. And, you know, just things like that, that are really, um, that are really quite embarrassing and um, that are difficult to talk about, you know, but uh, at the end of the day, again, comes back to that point, you know, all those things that I've done, been involved with, experienced, 
all form a part of my character, you know. And um, so yeah, it was it was a weird space to be in, man. And, and it's it's interesting because on a previous album, "Existence is the Sound of Love," yeah, um, there's a song called "A Look Back," and mm. I talk about similar things in that. And um, but when I wrote that song, the interesting thing is, so um, I think the start of the third verse is something like. Um, Six months chasing the dragon was admittedly the worst time of my life. I was smoking crack intermittently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember it. Yeah, yeah. But I was smoking heroin for a lot longer than six months. Mm. And the reason I wrote that line is because I was scared of what people would think of me if I actually said, you know, I was a heroin addict for two years, Mm. essentially. Um, I was like, oh, if I just write six months, that doesn't sound as bad, does it? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, you know, it's it's funny because um, I don't think, you know, you're not giving people your authentic self, man. And that's what it boiled down to with writing There's Always Tomorrow. It was like, nah, man, we're going fully in with this one. It's like everything, you know, stealing mm. off my mum, taking a bank card, um, stealing off my little brother and sister, stealing charity boxes, shoplifting, uh, defrauding someone of a thousand pounds with a fake check, you know, all sorts of shit, you know, and it's just like, um, I'm, I'm ashamed, ashamed of a lot of it, you know what I mean? But I'm also, I'm proud of the fact that I can talk about it now mm. and share it with people. I, I saw on your uh, Instagram the other day that you're at, well, you're at Eton talk, talking about, I, I can't remember what the title of it was, but I, you shared a picture, I think it was at Eton, where you were talking about you and your story and so on and so forth. Am I correct in that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did that come about? <laughs> yeah, so that's an interesting one. So, um, <laughs> I mean, who, who, whoever would have thought that little Jimmy Davis from 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 Kings Norton in Birmingham would end up in Eton talking about <laughs> rap music? But um, yeah, I was I was privately sort of mentoring and tutoring a student from Eton during the pandemic. Mm. Um, his family, well. <laughs> his his family's assistant reached yeah. out to me and said um this is Ilya he's really interested in hip hop um mm. he wants a mentor and a teacher would you be up for it we've come across your stuff we really admire what you do uh etc so myself and Ilya um formed a relationship and um yeah I stopped tutoring him probably about 12 months ago mm. anyway he he was encouraged by one of his teachers at Eton to form a rap society okay and so he did that and yeah he asked me to be the kind of inaugural guest speaker um and so that's how that came about yeah and and so i ended up at eton and i yeah i told my story in its rawest form Mm. to those students and we talked about everything i've just mentioned a minute ago um as well as my journey in music and what happened after that and what it led to and etc Listen, who who the who the thought that Jimmy Davis's tentacles would, <laughs> would stretch that far into into a rap society at Eton? But um, but Jimmy, let 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 some like you say, we were talking about the 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 kind of drug addiction, and I do think it's important to just articulate for people because I don't know myself actually. I've and in in the context of working within education, I've come across obviously families where drug abuse is rife, but I've never fully understood how it all happens. And I don't know 
you may you may not even be able to explain it yourself but as best as you can how how did you get into the world hmm. and even more importantly how the hell did you get out of it because hmm. i've always thought once you're in it's deep what does it because you know how society is they'll be like oh why don't they just whatever add whatever at the end of that particular sentence um so i guess how did you get in and how did you extract yourself out okay so i think that the starting point is and i've i've recognized this after years of reflection but i came to the conclusion that it all started because i didn't like myself mash more importantly, I didn't love myself. Yeah, so um, as well as other factors in my life, my mum and dad divorced when I was five. You know, things like that definitely played a part. But um, essentially, I really wanted to be liked and accepted by a group of people um, who certainly didn't have my best interests at heart. And, you know, I, I, I sort of talk about this when I, when I deliver an address or a speech or anything to anybody about some of the things that they did to me. And I just, I, I just ignored it and pretended it didn't happen. And so I was amongst this group of people and event, you know, we were experimenting with different drugs and stuff, soft drug, whatever you want to call them, recreational drugs, cannabis, yeah. um, ecstasy points and speed and stuff like that. And then eventually someone just introduced um, heroin into the group. And, um, you know, it was that sort of that age old kind of like myth. Oh, you won't get addicted to it if you just smoke it. It's yeah. the people who, who inject it, they get addicted. So um, that's what happened. And, um, you know, from that point on, it then just becomes a really slippery slope. And so <clears throat> I ended up homeless, um, uh, slept on the streets for about two weeks and then finally ended up in a hostel. That was pretty rough. I was in there for about six months and then managed to get like a bed seat. But it was all, you know, nothing was changing really. It was all, um, it was getting worse, if anything. And then, so that's how I got into it and became totally sort of immersed in it, embroiled in it. And then um, really luckily for me, I've got a supportive family. I've got mm. a big family that really look after it and look out for each other. And it just so happened that, like, I mean, I was driving around in a stolen car with no insurance, no nothing, no anything. And um, my family cottoned onto this. And um, a, an incident happened, and I can't even exactly remember what it was, but there was an incident involving the car. The police were called. And I just, like, I just had this moment of panic. I don't know what, yeah, panic or... Um, like a, maybe a cry for help. Mm. And I just ended up on the phone to my brother, my older brother, who, again, I've got a really interesting relationship with. Uh, we haven't got time to go into that now. But um, and, it, and it turned out that he just sort of almost came to my rescue and he took me back to my bed seat where I was living and was like, right, I want you to get some stuff and then we're going to and we're going to sort this out and we're going to get a plan together. And he walked into my bed seat and he just saw the extent of what was going on. Yeah. You know, like crack pipes and drug paraphernalia everywhere. And he was just, I think he was just gobsmacked and he didn't realize. And at that moment, he was like, right, I've got to get you out of this. And so he yeah. kind of grabbed me by the collar, if you like, and pulled me out of it. And then 
fortunately for me, my mum was living in Devon at the time. So my brother packed me a bag, put me on a coach, sent me down to Devon. Um, and I just did a cold turkey at my mum's for three weeks, I think. Did a cold turkey, came back, had to move in with my dad, had to share a, a room with my 10-year-old brother when I was 21 and sleep in a bunk bed. Um, and at that moment, you know, when you talk about something really humbling you, that that's the moment, man. And that's when you realise, like, right, I've got a lot of work to do to get my life back together. Um, and so, that, yeah, that's how I got out of it and, and sort of began to rebuild my life, I guess. So six months chasing the dragon was admittedly the worst time of my life. I was smoking crack intermittently. I heard some crackhead shit prick, at least I overcame. Just say that to your mates who every week are sniffing cocaine. It's all the same shite. I use this episode to make me stronger, spur me on and always keep the flame alight. See, I got through it when I was left alone. And not once did I see a bottle of methadone. But this is no sub story, I don't want sympathy. It's just setting it straight for the wankers who've got it in for me. And a chance to apologise to my family for everything I did. The enormity and the gravity of my actions are a burden that I'll carry with me until they're closing the curtain. Even if I fucking settle out in San Tropez, I've never changed my past because it's made me the man I am today. Were you able to, like, did people know you were going through it or were you able to live a dual existence or did you just essentially come off the mainframe of society so no one actually knew where you were at any point in time? Do you, do, do you see what I mean? Like, did you have enough um, kind of corpus mentis about you to kind of live a dual life? Um, yeah, certainly for for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um you know, there was a while there when nobody definitely knew the extent of what was mm. going on. There was a while when I was holding down a full-time job mm. um, and leaving work and going and smoking crack after, you know, like there was definitely a lot of that going on. Um, my mother sold her house and came to me with an envelope with £2,000 in it in cash. And obviously if she had any inkling of what was going on, she never would have done that, but she did. Yeah. And probably within... A month that money was gone um you know so yeah there, there was there was certainly some dual existence going on but then when it got really really bad i think it's difficult to disguise it's, it's hard to hide you know um when you're sort of creeping around your parents house trying to find any scrap of money that you can in anyone's piggy bank or old purse or whatever it is you know it's like People know that there's something going on, man. Mm. Yeah. Um, so you you kind of, as you say, you essentially go cold turkey. Um, and actually, no, actually, I do want to ask you about that. Is cold turkey, it sounds such a basic question, but I guess I'm approaching this from the, the perspective of somebody who doesn't understand unless somebody explains it clearly to them. We've seen on like TV what cold turkey might look like. Is it that, 
or is that an exaggerated version of things or is it worse and by by what it looks like i mean like the sweats and the this that and the other i only know the hollywood version of what cold turkey is like but what 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 did you enter like uncharted territory in your life when you had to go cold turkey without help like when i say without help i mean like actual um the right medical i guess is the right phrase there support to get you through it yeah yeah i think everybody's journey is different everyone's experience of it will be slightly different i mean people who inject heroin if they did a cold turkey it'd be totally different you know and that's that's the kind of thing that you do see in train spotting Mm. That's that kind of cold turkey. The cold turkey that I did was bad, yeah. It was hard and it was horrible and it was it did involve sweats and it involved like um um like cr- like horrible cramps all over your body, like shivers, um you know, like getting hot and cold, like you know, like craving something the most you've ever craved in your life. Um you know, demons, all sorts of stuff, man. Um, lo- loads of psychological stuff as well. So, yeah, it is bad. Um, but I guess what that what that showed me, now that I re- when I reflect on it years later, is that I always had this thing in me, like I'm, like I'm a bit of a warrior. Do you know what mm. I mean? Like I did a marathon two years ago and I had nine weeks to prepare for it and mm. I did it and I you know it's like that 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 spirit has always been in me so I guess I was fortunate in that sense you know what I mean because I, I know a lot of people that were in the same boat at the similar time that didn't come out the other side man and you know even like maybe a decade later are still troubled by the demons and I've heard stories it's like wow they got they sorted their life out and then something happened and they just went back to it and I'm like whoa mm. how does that happen yeah so yeah you know I feel lucky in that sense but um mm. so let's let's return to the music um so as you kind of alluded to earlier on you kind of get the epiphany in your early twenties. Um, and at, at what point, at what point in your journey did you think I could no, you, <laughs> at what point in your journey did you think I could make it, whatever that means to you. And uh, when, when I did the episode with Ed, um, the one with the musician, I asked him a similar question. Um, and obviously he's a drummer, singer, et cetera, whereas you're an MC. Was there a point where you thought I could crack, I could, whatever, again, your definition of make it will be different to mine possibly, but was there a point where you're like, I could, I could make it, I could crack through whatever the kind of invisible ceiling is? Or did you get to a point where you thought I can graft and graft and graft, but there's only so far my music can go? Or, I've given you lots of scenarios here, <laughs> or do you look back and go, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of where I, I was able to take my music to. Um, yeah, let, yeah, just take that however you want, because I, I, I don't know where you want to go with that one. Do you know what? It's a little bit of all of those, to be honest, Mash. Yeah, mm-hmm. so there was, a, there was definitely, it was early on, man. Like being, when I was in that trio, the other guy 
ended up leaving. So it was just me and the original guy that had approached me and said, I want to work with you. Mm-hmm. And when we were working as a duo, like, yeah, we, and we were just so fully immersed in music and performing. Like there was certainly a point um, in the early stages of that partnership where I thought, yeah, man, we could make it. We could definitely make it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If we keep doing what we're doing. Um, and then um, there was definitely a part where I definitely reached the stage where I was like, I'm not sure this is going to happen. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if, you know, and that whole make it thing, I think it's important yeah. to say, it's like you, you define your own success, you know, yes, you yeah. define what sex, success means to you um, and it's on your terms. But I think, and that's even more sort of uh, relevant now with the advent of digital distribution, mm you know doing all your own stuff online etc whereas when we started 20 years ago that was sort of that wasn't a thing it was my space that was it yeah yeah yeah. um so so yeah definitely got to a point that definitely reached that that point and also the last thing you said as well about being proud yeah mm. got to that stage eventually as well and i was like actually you know what like yeah man i did some bits bro when i look back yeah. on my career or you know the timeline and that things I've achieved yeah man definitely did some bits you know and this is a thing it's like um I mean one 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 thing I'm I'm really proud of is that it turned out that I ended up influencing someone who went on to become a global superstar do you know what I mean and they they sort of have referenced me and I think that not to say that that's like um anything of the, of, of the nature of, oh, look at me, look at what I've done, or kind of um, that that makes me better than anybody who hasn't done that. Oh, absolutely not. Um, but it is, it's definitely something that I'm proud of, man. Um, and I think, you know, when you, sometimes when you set out to achieve something, yes, you've got this big goal and dream and aspiration of, I want to, I want to, I want my music to reach, hundreds of millions of people and et cetera, et cetera. But really like you giving that intro today, Mash, and saying that you were moved by my music, like that is what it's all about, man. One mm-hmm. person saying, I love what you do. He's like, my job's done. Do you know what I mean? Like, absolutely. You referenced earlier on um, the album, um, I'm so glad you referenced it because I have a story to tell you about that. Um, so you referenced earlier on the album, um, Existence is the Sound of Love, right? And anybody who's listening to this, so that album was recorded under Jimmy's names. That's recorded by Jimmy Davis. And people, mm. if you've never listened to it, that album is a banger. It's an absolute banger. I dare anyone to That's not it. to not buy it, stream it, band camp, whatever it might be. And I dare anyone after this recording to tell me they couldn't find at least seven excellent songs on there if they're not going to tell me the whole album's a banger. And the funny thing is, Jimmy, uh, this is what I love about music, because somebody can record an album and they, as an artist, can have a song that means the most to them. So you referenced a look back, whereas the song that I used to play all the time on that album (laughs) 
was actually the closer, Small Changes, Big Changes. I always yeah. thought that was the best song on that album. I don't know why, it just spoke to me. In for whatever reason, that song spoke to me in, in ways that I can't um, explain. But this is what's interesting to me now. It's very hard to find that album. Mm. Now, um, I, I don't know. Maybe this is an insight to me. And you're you're possibly going to say to me, no, Mash, it's out there. And it is. Don't get me wrong. It is out there. Like, you can find it on Amazon and this, that, and the other. But maybe I've got it wrong, Jimmy. Maybe you're about to say to me, no, Mash, it's definitely out there. But when you – where's your stuff, Jimmy? <laughs> Basically, it's what I'm saying. <laughs> because people are going to listen to this episode and go searching for, for previous albums. And it's it's not that easy to, to access them anymore have you done something to that or is it or is this just a, a kind of quirk of the music industry yeah man they're like they're like relics now you know what i mean they're like antiques man you got uh <laughs> <laughs> i'm driving up the price of them mesh um <laughs> nah yeah i mean coming back to what you just asked about reaching certain stages and points of your career and journey and that and literally bro i, I mean this is madness in some ways but i did get to a point where I was like, right, I'm starting a new thing with tapes, mm. creating a new brand, a new artist. So you know what? The Jimmy Davis thing has got to come down. Right. I knew it. <laughs> yeah. I just took it all down, man. Um, which, you know, in some ways I look back and think, why did I do that? That's crazy. Mm. But, you know, you do stuff, don't you, at the time in life and hindsight and all that. But, um, but yeah, there's, there's still there's a whole bunch of physical copies somewhere of that album. Um, so yeah, people would definitely find it. And also, I mean, here's the here's the other challenge, right? If people can find the album before that, belief, passion, commitment. Yeah, I didn't even see. I didn't even get to reference that yet. Yeah, go. <laughs> then, then, then you're definitely onto a winner, man. That one's gonna that one's gonna sell big at some of his one day rub. <laughs> <laughs> no, but actually, do you know what? Let me explore that. Let me, let me, because I was going to ask you about tapes next, obviously. Why did you make the transition? So, for, again, so for, for those who are listening to this who may not know the story, so Jimmy, for as long as I knew him, had always recorded under his name. So you can find whether live recordings, previous albums, etc., under the name Jimmy Davis. You can find them, people. Just search and you'll find, you'll, you'll find them. And then circa, I want to believe it was bef just before the pandemic, 20, no, yeah, 2018, I want to say 2018. Um, so 2018, you essentially rebranded and uh, you became Tapes. And again, people, I'm going to spell it for you, T8, as in just the number eight, P-E-S. You became Tapes and obviously went through a kind of recording process and released uh, an album under under that branding, which is again a very good album. Um, why did you do it though? Musically, why did you feel the need to do that? Was it about shedding your skin? Like, and but I say that metaphorically. Like, what when an artist does something like that? You're not the first artist to do that, but when an artist, an MC, does that, what's the what's the journey you're going on? Um, so in 2014, I think I want to say, I went on a tour with my good friend Luke Concanon that you spoke about earlier from Nislapi. And um, we were on the road for three months. And I came back and I was depressed, man. 
I was mm. depressed and I was like, what the hell's going on? This isn't right. I shouldn't be feeling like this. I'm doing what I love. I'm doing what I've always wanted to. And I took took a bit of time to reflect on it and I thought, you know what? I'm just, I'm burnt out, man. I'm burnt mm. out and I'm a bit fed up and um, I'm a bit tired of this whole thing. So I just stepped away from music. I was like, right, I'm not doing anything for a while mm. or for the foreseeable future even. I stepped away and then, did a bunch of other stuff for a couple of years and uh, I met someone and kind of started to fall in love with them. Mm. And it was that process that made me want to make music again. Yeah. And I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, uh, I want to do it under a different name, under a different banner. And I want to do something new. I want to try something, something else. And, and yeah, that's where the tapes thing was born, man. <laughs> it's hard as an artist to answer this, but I ask you all the same. <laughs> Do you, what do you, when you look back at the stuff you recorded as Jimmy Davis, who was that artist compared to who tapes is? Ah, gone. Let me give you that philosophical one. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a deep one, bruv. Um, I think the Jimmy Davis artist was. Obviously, it sort of changed a little bit between the two albums that I recorded and released, but that was like the sort of the young, hungry, maybe a bit naive, maybe thought I had it all figured out version of me. Mm. Um, but also the authentic, unapologetic. Um, and I think the tapes version was much more well thought through um sort of well constructed uh with with much more of uh, like a direction and an idea um you know based around something mm. based around a particular sound it, everything tied in with the tapes thing when you when you start breaking it down the branding the videos the songs themselves, um, all of the imagery, all of the online social stuff, it was all tied in, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, it was, it was engineered, I suppose, that thing, whereas Jimmy Davis was just me. Looking back, man, we came through some scrapes Could've seen myself standing at the gates We were living a fast life and couldn't apply those brakes And them snakes? Huh. I wonder what they're doing now I heard one or two of them ain't changed Three or four of them couldn't maintain That's the game, I'm afraid Who can I blame for the way I behaved? Well, there's a catalogue of things But how did I get from the boy that I was to the man I became? Let's take them back to those days When our idea of a race Was stealing sweets from Derrick's on the corner And thinking we were the craze <laughs> What a phase And how things have changed It took time though I was nine bro By the time I was ten I had stolen the lunch money On the last day of junior school with my friend Twenty quid as a kid Was like winning the Jackie Man was so happy and then Within a couple of months We were stealing car badges Running around like scallies And I very quickly became addicted to thieving With no feeling Mum's giant whiskey bottle the ones, twos and fives got raided on the regs Dad's 20p tube in his bedroom was where man had to tread careful steps Damn, 
pure regrets But nothing could prepare me for what happened next It was the summer of 95 when footwear were known as trainers, not creps Every couple of days I would wake up early, go straight to the cash point With mum's bank card stealing off my own mum, thinking I was a bad boy see any more tapes projects <laughs> I, I hope so man yeah I hope so I like to think so um, again you know I'm just just been through another crazy period of my life with becoming a father and that just changed mm. everything changed my perspective on everything changed my outlook changed what I'm aspiring to be what I thought my life was about yeah so, you know, I do, you know, I love music. My heart will always be in it in some way, shape or form. Um, but it's just not the be all and end all of my life anymore. It's not, mm. you know, here's the thing, Mash, right? I, I had to really sit down and, and, and kind of go through it all with a fine tooth comb. And the, the truth of it is that I was so one pointedly focused on music for such a long time that I shelved loads of other things in my life. Yeah. I was interested in and that I'm good at and that I have a passion for. And it, I'm just at a point in my life where I'm like, you know what? I want to explore them things for a bit, man, yeah, because yeah. I, I can't. One thing I've learned about myself is that I can't be one dimensional. Mm. I just can't be that person. You know what I mean? And I was for such a long time. And when I, when I reflect on the result and what it did to me, yeah, it's not, you know, it's not great, man. So I think, I guess that that would be my one of my messages to to anybody that's listening is, um, if you really if you got your heart set on something, don't ignore all the other things in your life that make you a complete human. You know, you need all of those things. It brings balance. It's so important. So yeah, just bear that in mind. It's almost as if you could preempt what I was going to say. <laughs> it's almost like you knew I was going to say reflecting back. What kind of like what's the what's the biggest mess uh, what's the biggest thing that you've kind of learned from it all and you've you've kind of dropped that gem for people and I kind of certainly that resonates with me certainly in terms of some of the things that I do and I totally get what you're saying one about how fatherhood changes you mm -hmm. um and two about understanding that a passion project doesn't mean that that's your singular focus <laughs> <laughs> in life and it, it is very easy to get tunnel vision and not see and i'm going to use this word it might be too strong but not see the damage you can do to yourself and others by only having that tunnel vision um on that particular passion project yeah listen jimmy sorry no no go for it man i was literally just gonna i was just gonna round off what you were saying by I mean, look at, I've got, you know, there's a picture of her in the background here mm. on my wall. You know, there's so many examples of incredibly talented people who, for whatever reason, are not with us anymore, you know, be because of, of that to a degree, to an extent, that, that they, you know, they became so consumed by something mm. and didn't have the right people, the right support network around them, didn't have balance in their life, 
whatever it is, you know, and um, yeah, that that's the that's kind of the ultimate negative, I guess, about what it can lead to. Um, so yeah, one hundred percent, Jimmy. I'm going to ask you just one thing, and then we we'll, we can bring this one to a close. You came from the the Birmingham music scene, and when I say music scene, uh, no, actually, let's focus on being an MC. Um, although you may want to branch it out when I answer this question. I've seen over the last, let's say, few years or so, again, just from kind of your social handles and whatnot, that you're certainly doing a lot more when you're musically involved. And if I've got this wrong, please correct me. But I I see you kind of doing a lot more, I'm going to call it giving back to the scene. Let's, I'm just going to call it that in terms of whether it be advice or whether it be kind of, leading workshops seminars this that panels whatever and i i've kind of i feel from a fan perspective and from knowing you that you're almost transitioning into the next phase in 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 that sense right without that doesn't mean you obviously won't make music and so on and so forth um and i guess almost going full circle with this particular episode we have brummy artists now uh i think of someone like a jk um, if if somebody happens to listen to that kind of music, who when I when I kind of think of the face of Brum music, JK is probably the first, but that's in terms of the music I might listen to. JK is mm. probably the first person, or oh, sorry, it's the first person I think of who is again unapologetically Brum. You can't not listen to JK and know where he's from, and he's not. I don't think JK's ever tried to downplay that or try and do airs and graces around who he is and where he's from, et cetera, et cetera. And I think he's a highly talented artist at that. Mm. But just in the Brum scene, is there anybody else that you would kind of say to people, you know what? It's not, it's not all about London. <laughs> there are, there are artists out there that you should keep an eye on and um, get to know. And uh, sorry, just to add the one of the reasons why I say that to you is about two years ago, you released a song, um, See, that's what I'm saying, Jimmy. You don't even... I'm oh, sorry, I'm playing in the background. I nearly remembered that I can get banned on podcast episodes. <laughs> let, me, let, me play the, let me play the first five seconds and you should recognise it. One sec. <laughs> let me lock it off. <laughs> so, you released that. You released that song called Wake Up. And... Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the artist who was on it, Brum artist. In fact, both of them probably. I'd never heard of them before. That song is a banger. So that, <laughs> that's why I'm saying to you, who are some artists that people should look out for who who probably because of our kind of London-centric eye, we don't even realise are our key people to watch um, in the scene? Yes, man. Great question. So... The one of the MCs on that track you just played is an absolute legend, and in my opinion, he's in the top five all-time grime MCs, and he's called Sucks. Um, mm. I'm sure, a lot of people will know Sucks. He's been around for a long time, and he's just so so talented. Like, you know, get very jealous of his talent. Um, and then other people I would recommend to look out for. There's another guy that features on that album called Ricardo Williams, who is just phenomenal vocalist, man, like R&B singer with like a, I don't know, like a kind of a boys to men sort of vibe. You know, he can mm. he 
vocal range is just incredible. Um, and then, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of bands that I'm really into. So, um, the Claws are a fantastic band. They're brilliant. They're doing a lot of stuff. Sugar Thief are another one of my favourite Birmingham bands. Um, you know, these are quite young guys. You know, still sort of spring chickens in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably about it, man. Though, check out those people. I'm trying to think of a female. I feel really bad because I've just named loads of males. Um, oh, a great female artist, Rihanna Keane. Rihanna Keane, mm. man, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So yeah, there's a lot of talent in Brum. You know, we're just lacking a bit of in infrastructure in the city. Mm. in some ways but um but you know there's a lot of people doing some good stuff man so yeah check Fantastic. it out listen jimmy um people you don't know that we we recorded this episode at a time when both of us but given where we are at in our lives it's bedtime so, <laughs> so, so, i did promise i did promise jimmy that with that in mind i wouldn't let this one go on too long but what i will say before i let jimmy go is that um do uh i hope jimmy doesn't mind me saying it do look out for some um future projects coming from jimmy uh, mm. You may well see me involved as well, but do look out. Keep your eyes peeled, people, um, for some future projects uh, coming um, from Jimmy, not just musically. As Jimmy said, people, you don't have to be one dimensional um, in, in your in your life. But Jimmy, I'll give you the final words. Thank you ever so much for coming on. Um, it's been a, a great conversation. It's been fantastic kind of getting to know your journey in just a, in, in a bit more detail and kind of bringing your story to light to, to, to a wider audience. So I'll give you the, the stage for the final words, Jimmy. I'm just really humbled, Mash, that you asked me to come on. And I've, I've had great fun. You're doing brilliant work. And yeah, I guess to everybody out there that's listening, love is the key, man. That's my final word. Can't end more powerful than that, people. If you're, if you're going to take a message away, that that that's the most powerful one you can take. People, that's been another episode of The Game is the Game. Thank you as ever for listening. Um, you know the deal. Like it, share it, subscribe, and uh, leave a review if you're listening on a podcast platform that allows you to do so. I'll be Mashal St. Patrick Hewitt. Thank you, and good night. Thank you for listening to The Game is the Game with Michelle St. Patrick Hewitt. If you enjoyed that episode and you'd like to find out more about the work I do, you can head to linktr.ee forward slash mashstpaddy. If you'd like to find me on Twitter, you can find me at mashstpaddy. And if you'd just like to email me about anything you're interested in or that episode made you think about or anything in particular, you can email me at mstpatrick at gmail.com.